my cup. Think to be a decker, most to see clean far them top. Get me kings of Hey everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold, and this week my guest is John Pavlovitz. It is part two of my interview with him. What a great guy. We're just all around incredible person, great writer, great faith leader. Just, I really, I adore him on so many levels. So I hope you enjoy part two of my interview with him. Sit back, relax, because so there's so it's so easy to relax now, isn't it? <laughs> nothing going on, nothing going on in this country to make you angry. So, sit back, enjoy, and I'll catch you on the out. I don't know what that means, catch you on the out, but it sounds cool. Enjoy. You meet Jennifer, your wife, to your future mm. wife, and. This sort of brings you back. So you kind of leave for a while. You're like, I'm not going to deal with this religion stuff. When did your brother come out? I had read that your brother came out as gay. And you said, I read in in, uh, an article, you had said that that made you realize why he had been depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I met my, my wife and she had come out of a very similar story, raised Roman Catholic um, in the Northeast in Philadelphia area. And we had both drifted from our faith and right. we came back to came back to organize religion because we were getting married and you realized, yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're supposed to do that in a church. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when my brother came out after um, some of that time passed, so I was actually kind of a, a already an affirming um, minister. Right. Of, when the, and then later on, but yeah, looking back, I mean, that was my brother had had a lot of um, a lot of difficulty in in his high school and college years, and realizing now, of course, it was just because he was living in this environment where he couldn't be a fully authentic version of himself, and once he could be, it was like a, a switch was flipped, and everything was different for him in a lot of ways. Well, and it's not even like you can't be yourself. It's like who you know you are is an aberration is a sin. You're like, that's the worst. It's so interesting as a gay that I ask young gay people this now. Like I knew I was gay when I was like three. I mean, I was like, something's different, you know? And then then you get to puberty. You're like, Oh, but there's something which is so weird that, you know, you can't tell anyone, you know, it has to be a secret. And I, and that still happens. Like kids still, they don't say who they are. Like, it's like, and no one teaches you that. Like this whole don't yeah, yeah. say gay thing. It, to me, it's like, no one said gay when I was growing up and I'm gay. So it doesn't mean, you know, but it's like that thing where, you know, inside at such a young age. Oh, right. Not so, what the hell is that? Yeah. And you put the, yeah, you have that. And then you add on to that, the existential weight of, right whatever you believe about religion. And so I think that's the the insidious thing. And that's why the work that I do, I'm so confrontational because I, I know how destructive it is. And looking right. back now, I can see what it was like for my siblings to live through years and years of that. Um, and of course you can't be happy. Of course you can't be relaxed. Um, right. It's, you can't even be yourself. It's like you're playing, you're like an actor playing a part. That's you know? right. That's right. It's so horrible. Okay. So um, you you get married and that sort of brings you back to the church. 
and you go Methodist. Is that correct? Yeah. That, well, it was, it was funny because I remember we, we were living together, my wife and I. And so we're calling what? around all these. Yes. Oh my God. How about that? Oh, my God. Oh, all right. Should we shut this down now? Yeah. yeah and I saw fire. something just went on. And fire. I could not. And we're feeling like, you know, we need a religious presence. So I just did this very spiritual thing. I just went to the yellow pages and started looking at churches in our area and saying, hey, we're we want to get married. And all these churches, of course, had you had to be a member. You had to go to this class or you have to give money or whatever it could be. And one pastor, a Methodist minister, a, a, a female pastor, which I didn't had never met a female pastor who turned out to be gay. She said, well, why don't you come down to our church and see what we're about? Then we can talk about you getting married there. Real small country kind of chapel outside of Philadelphia. And there was we just discovered real people kind of really trying to live, um, it, you know, compassionate lives together. And so that really changed things. So it happened to be a Methodist church. You know, she was a lesbian. The the. <clears throat> Uh, but by that time, the gaydar was working better. So I did, yes. uh, you know, it wasn't like before. And so, I, yeah, I, I realized, OK, this is probably what's going on. And but yet she was just she was just such a compassion. I still have a post-it note where I wrote down her name and number oh. from that, for that appointment because right. it really altered the course of my life because we got married there and I started working with the teenagers there. Right. And that just set me down a totally different path. You became a. um Youth minister, right? You went to East yes. Baptist Theological Seminary. Is that correct? Yeah. So I did everything backwards. So I was right. uh, in the church working as a minister. And then they asked me to speak every Sunday at this sort of what they called a progressive service. And so what I started to do was I was up there every week giving a message. And it occurred to me, I don't know if I even know what I'm talking about. So I went to seminary to educate myself and then and then through that process over about 15 years, just ended up, the churches got larger and larger. And I ended up in the Methodist church that right. I never imagined. And you can imagine for Catholic parents, that was actually one of the most controversial things that I'd ever right. done in my life because they couldn't fathom their son being in ministry and not being a priest. So right. I can remember we go there and I'm, I'm speaking and I'm playing guitar and my parents are watching this. And I'm, I'm delivering the message and my mom is looking down at the floor. She can't even look at me because she couldn't fathom it. And then, but afterward, um, service ends and she says, well, you're a regular sister act too up there, John. And so that was her just going, okay, I don't understand this, but uh, I, you know, and it was funny because I said to my wife at the time, you know, if I, I could be accepted by my parents, if I were gay, but not Methodist. And it was really interesting to see because by that wow. time they had, they they had evolved. Brother. Yeah. Right. And so, but they still had this block about other faiths within the uh, Christian tradition. So, but now, then quickly everything changed over the you know, last couple of years. All right. Years. I have a question. So as a non-Christian, there's so many times there. Okay. And I'm not talking about the evangelicals because they're a whole other issue. Sure. But we have... Catholics, you have Roman Catholic. I mean, you you have Methodist, you have uh, Presbyterian, you have mm. Baptist, you have Lutheran. Where did these all come from? And <laughs> and like, do you all think each other is wrong? Like, what? I don't. Yeah, essentially, you know, every denomination comes out of the fact that. 
we have decided we agree on nine things, but the 10th thing we don't, we don't agree on. And so that's a deal breaker. So we're going to take our 10 things and go over here. And it's really, there's an arrogance to it that says, okay, we've cracked the code and it's not just our, and it's not even just our denomination, but it's our, our local congregation is better than the local, the other Episcopal church. So it's, it's a very strange competitive, um, experience and it really undermines the whole idea of what a christian was supposed to be which right. was this expansive community of in, you know interdependent people right. um, so all the denominations are some superficial or some you know small disagreement you become a youth pastor you move to charlotte is that did you move there? that's right okay so you moved to charlotte to work at a mega church, Good Shepherd United Methodist. Is that oh, right? They're gonna love they're gonna love that shout out, but yes, that's true. Oh yeah, because so many, so many of my listeners are like, oh, I'm gonna go to <laughs> and you you're there for 10 years. Is yeah, right? I was. So, I was and it first of all, and also what the hell is Jennifer thinking? Is she she's like she marries this like illustrator guy. And yeah. then you come home and you're like, oh, FYI, I'm going to be a, you know, pastor. Like what happened? Like, was she like, well, she was, she, we were fortunate, Judy, because our ro- our roads kind of paralleled at the same time. So when we got married at that small church and I'm working with the teenagers, she was too. And so we, we kind of got reacclimated with organized religion and we're okay with it. And we drifted at the same times and drifted back. So um, she was actually helpful in me saying, okay, I'm going to actually leave my secular career as an art director and enter ministry because at the time it was very natural because we spent so much time and energy with these teenagers and we loved them. Um, So that wasn't the issue. But once I had to move, once we moved away from family and went to Charlotte and we're in this massive church and that was a big switch because then the expectations were different um, and the, you know, the learning curve was definitely there. You say that, so you're there for, you had a, a sense of belonging. You said you felt a sense of belonging and that there was a lot of emphasis also on boosting attendance at mm. the risk of uh, demonizing Democrats and gays. So here you are at this mega church, which like what, how many people are in a mega church? Well, and ours was probably 2000 on a Sunday morning. So not oh massive. massive yeah. Yeah. And, and so what I found there was that uh, as I, as I grew, as I spent more time there, I had built up an equity of trust with the community. I had, you know, that relational capital. And so as I started to change, I started to nudge that congregation and I was working with the teenagers primarily too. So I always had this very, I had freedom and we had hundreds of kids in our ministry. And so we became a very a safe place for, for LGBTQ students to come and I, because I was given a very different message than the Sunday morning message. Right. And I remember the, the pastor sort of calling me into his office one day and he said, you know, I just want to talk about, I've noticed we have a lot of gay kids in our youth group. And I said, we don't have more per capita homosexuals. They just know that they're not going to be ostracized if they come right. out. And so that, but that's when I realized that that was a problem for him. And it was not a problem for me any longer. And I knew my days and were going to be numbered. Safe. 
these kids, right? Yeah. They felt safe. Yeah. I mean, they were, because I was not explicitly preaching that, you know, the, that gay, gay is the okay, right? But LGBTQ right. students could see, you know, could under, see, see my heart. And so they were coming out to me terrified of their parents, terrified of the church. And I'm having to carry that secret with them to right. try to figure out how do I steward them through this without damaging them more. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that started. And I knew my days were numbered in that kind of church. It was just how long would I be able to, to uh, you know, to do that? So you, you said that um, the church had become corporate and that there is a, this, I loved, I loved, this is a quote from you, a conspiracy of silence in churches. Yeah. And it's actually even worse than that. It's a, a you know, a conspiracy of pretending it, it, in our case, it was, maybe I'm not sure I believe this, but I, I can't question it. And so the, the minister's up there thinking he has to be perfect. The people in the pews are the chairs are feeling like I can't talk about this. And so everyone is just artificial. And what I found is I started to speak more explicitly about sexuality or race that so many people in the church were just thinking, Oh, thank you. I, I wanted permission to question this, but I didn't know how I could do that without losing that sense of community. That is so important. You know, that is the, the thing that Christian religion leverages at its worst. It leverages that need to belong. And so you'll do anything to stay in community with those people. Right. Ugh, there's they do they realize how lucky they are that they had you? These kids must be like, do you ever hear well, from kids that came I out? I, you know? I just I just married a couple last weekend, which was fantastic. You know, the the girl is probably 27, 28 now. And she said, when I went to get married, <clears throat> there's no other clergy member I would think of other than you. And that, oh, that's important. That's you know, that matters to me yeah. um, because I. I wanted, and even though I've drifted from that place, the the relationships that I built up for the decades, I mean, it's still there. It's really powerful. Hey everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so 
convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required, okay? And Factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me, I never lie, Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S, dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero, okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50, to get 50% off. That's code Judy Gold 50 at factormeals.com slash Judy Gold 50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. So did you then go to another mega church in Raleigh? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. I didn't learn my lesson. And so I did go to another church and it was a, actually a plant, like a, a Baptist plant. So it was Southern Baptist church that had planted what appeared to be one of those giant, funky, hey, we're a rock and roll show. We dress oh, casual. Yeah. We we love everybody. And I was, uh, my dad had died suddenly um, right at that time when I was pondering whether or not to go to this new church. And you know how, when you're grieving, you're just not thinking clearly and looking back, I was just not equipped for that decision. I didn't see some red flags, but I got to this new church. We moved to Raleigh and um, knew right away. It was, it was not going to last because I didn't have the equity of trust. I didn't have the relational capital, but I was still speaking now more openly than ever right. about all, all this stuff. Yeah. So the the one you were at 10 years, did they fire you? I know that. No, they didn't. I, I left because I just felt like I had, I'd reached the point where I had grown this ministry and, you know, right. hundreds of kids. And, uh, but I also kind of felt like, Oh, I think I've stretched this congregation and my own abilities as much as I could. And I just thought maybe there's some, something else I can do. And then again, right around that time was my dad's passing. And I think it was just a lot of change happening inside, you know, and what I wanted to do, but I left on wonderful terms and a lot of people there. I mean, I still have great relationships with many of them. Unfortunately, as I got a higher profile and became more progressive, a lot of the ministers there kind of disowned me because I was, I I know you get it. I get it. I'm the thing they taught me to be afraid of. I knew what I thought thought about people like me. So you go to this mega church in Raleigh and... Is that where you begin blogging or you're writing? I had been blogging at the church in, in Charlotte and because the church was so large, I was really t- writing just about um, parenting issues or you know, writing about youth ministry because youth pastors were looking at our church saying, oh, this is how they do it in the big churches. But it was a really closed community. And even as I was writing the blog, realizing my senior pastor was reading them. And so I had to be real careful and nuance my words. So I couldn't say, I don't think being LGBTQ is a sin. I just had to say, I, w- I love gay people. And that was, so I had to, I learned to nuance words there. And so um, the blog started to slowly grow, but it was mostly in that closed community. And it was only when I I think I wrote about Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook shooting happened. And I was so angry at Uh what 
Mike, you know, Mike Huckabee was doing and James Dobson, who was an evangelical pastor that I just, I wrote this blog post without thinking about my job security. And what happened was the blog reached thousands of people that would never would have, but then it created a rift in my situation. So I knew, okay, I could either be, uh, you know, an honest, authentic pastor or an employed pastor. Right. that yeah, you got to go with the honesty. So you get fired, but you have this blog, um, stuff that needs to be said, mm-hmm. which is everyone who was listening, go to John Pavlovitz, Jew, um, Bring that go bell. to his website and, and read, it's, it's amazing. It, it's mm. They're just, they're just so um, great. So you have, you know, your two children and you write this Wait, I have to put it on my screen because it's just so incredible. You write this post. If I have gay children, this is in 2014, four promises from a Christian pasture slash parent pastor, not pasture. What the fuck? Well, uh, they put okay, me out the pasture. Ready? I'm just going to read. I can't tell you as a gay how important this is for kids to hear. You said, I, sometimes I wonder if I'll have gay children. I'm not sure if other parents think about this, but I do quite often. Maybe it's because I have many gay people in my family and circle of friends. It's in my dreams. It's in my tribe. Maybe it's because as a pastor of students, I've seen and heard the horror stories of gay Christian kids from both inside and outside the closet trying to be a part of the church. Maybe it's because as a Christian, I interact with so many people who find homosexuality to be the most repulsive thing imaginable and who make that abundantly clear at every conceivable opportunity. For whatever reason, it's something I ponder frequently as a pastor and a parent. I want to make some promises to you and my two kids right now. And I'm just going to read the four promises. One. If I have gay children, you will all know it. Two, if I have gay children, I'll pray for them. Three, if I have gay children, I'll love them. Four, if I have gay children, most likely I have gay children because as you read on, we are born this way. This is, it's not a mistake. So, and I, it's just so well-written and so important And what I wonder is, you say people who find it so repulsive uh, when that like that, those people to me are gay. Anyone who says, you know, well, it's a choice. The only way you would be so certain that it's a choice would be if you made that choice, because as Mm. a gay who was born this way, I didn't make a choice. This is who I am. So if you're so 100% know that it's a choice, I feel like you've made that choice. Do you feel like I do that people who are so obsessed with it and repulsed by it are, are gay or homosexual? Well, I, I certainly see that played out in clergy. When you see a minister who is, you know, uh, homophobic, transphobic, in, invariably there is something in their past and it's a self-hatred and it's that kind of um, projection. But I think um, often that is the case because you're right. I remember thinking through it as a teenager thinking, well, no one could talk me into not being heterosexual. Like no one could. T- I, I love 
girls and no one's going to tell me, hey, you know, here's an alternative. Uh, They couldn't sell that to me. And so I knew instinctively that that was just a ridiculous idea. And so you're right. When people even suggested it it means um, they have already made their choice. They just can't. They don't want to admit what that choice is. Right. It's not a choice. They've chosen to deny it. It's just it's so ridiculous that anyone would think we would pick this. And then. Yeah. And the way they they act out, it's just and it's just like you're gay. You're so gay Mm. and you cannot deal with it. And it's well, you know, Judy, a lot of times guys will write to me and they'll go, oh, you support LGBTQ people. You know, might as well come out and tell us that you're gay. And I said, you know, it's. It's me thinks you doth protest too much, not right. support too much. You know, it's a ridiculous idea that if I am affirming of LGBTQ people that I'm gay. And so I'm affirming of women and Muslims and it just doesn't make any sense. Right. But they'll. And also, you know, look, I was born in 1962. And, you know, when I was coming out like in the 80s and stuff like that, and all my friends, I was with my friends in college and we're like, we all realized we had no idea all of us were gay. We're like, oh, mm. you're gay. T-. You know, it was just the funniest thing. We're like, oh, me too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're all gay. <laughs> you know, and and I had to prove it to myself. Like I had to be with a guy like I because it was so it was going to be such a horrible way to live. You ha- you tried it. You know, you like we're yeah. like, OK, let me just maybe I'm not maybe I'm bi. Maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm that. And I, heteros don't go through that. No, they don't. No, you're right. And I can remember with my brother, one of my other, my other brother, because I have two brothers, watching him attempt that. And what it did was all it did was give false hope to our parents. And it confused everybody even more because later on they're thinking, well, you had girlfriends. Well, yeah, because the pressure was there for me too. Um, And it's, you just see how much wasted energy it is. It just does such damage to people. I mean, you know, yeah. Just like, let me just try it. And maybe I'll find maybe one personal change and then I can have a normal life. You know, it's just the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. You wrote um, some of your other uh, blog posts, which I love you so much. Thank you. You wrote one about Brock Turner, the rapist. And people, I, I don't know why anyone would be against that. I mean, his father, Brock Turner, raped someone in college and then the father asked for leniency. Right. Um, and you were like, no, it's not about you and your son. It's about the victim of the rape. Yeah. And that turned out to be controversial to people. And, you know, you just, it's funny because my, I remember my wife, when I wrote the If I Have Gay Children post and then the news, CNN calls and I'm on the, all these news channels and she says, Pastor says he would love his kids, you know, news at 11. And then then you write I write this Brock Turner post. So over and over, the idea that what I think is common sense decency is turns out to be controversial, especially for people of faith. That's the the right. real um, strange thing. Yeah, you you make so much sense. And then and they're supposed to be people of faith. It's ridiculous. OK, this is another great one. Evangelicals, this is why people are through with you. These evangelicals who use religion to justify horrible behavior, 
They're such hypocrites. Like you like Don, like, all right, I love you also because you are so outspoken about these horrible politicians and, and especially Donald Trump. And pl- by the way, your Twitter is the greatest. So oh, Donald Trump, the worst person in the world, rapist, uh, right. I'll say alleged just to say it, but we all know the truth. Sure. A uh, uh, thief, liar, corrupt, uh, just, and you know, everyone in New York knew it. No one voted for him here. That's right. Um, a racist, misogynist, anti-Semite, xenophobic, you know, everything. And yet the evangelicals think he's the second coming. Like, I don't understand it. Well, what it started off, I think, as them realizing uh, we can get from Donald Trump when when people like Franklin Graham and Jerry Falwell, they said Trump doesn't have morality of his own. He will just right. take on the morality of whoever has the, the highest, you know, the most money. And so I think they said, we'll use Donald Trump. And Donald Trump was saying, I'll use them. So it became this really bizarre relationship. And I don't think I think most Christians don't think that they they know he's he's a horrible man. They just know he's the means to an end that he will get them. You know, he'll get abortion rights taken away, that he'll he'll have white supremacy emboldened. Um, so I don't think many of them think that at least the Christians that I know, they understand who they're in bed with. They just deny it because they they want something from it. Do you feel now, sure some of yeah. sure some of them are crazy? You know, some of them are off the deep right, end right. and they believe the th- theology. So it's hard to get to the bottom of all of it. How do you feel about safe uh, abortions about, you know, I think it's hard for people who and I hate the term pro-life because it, yeah. it, no one's not pro-life, you know, right. but it's such a it's such a divisive issue. When I talk to old women in their 80s, some in their 90s about what it was like before abortion was legal and how many of their friends died or, you know. Yeah. If you don't believe in like I think I'm pro-choice, but if you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. But don't like that's what I believe. If you think yeah. it's wrong for you, fine. These people that are so anti-abortion and yet pro-gun and yet pro-death penalty. That's right. And and yet pro, you don't get a right to vote. We're going to make it really hard for you to vote. Like, how do they not see that? Well, it's easy, Judy, because what they do is they say, OK, I'm going to just have this stance. I'm going to call myself pro-life. Um, it doesn't require me much to actually be um, be pro-life. I don't have to change my behavior. I don't have to be accountable for the way I live or how I treat other people. And so I always say, are you for humanity? You're pro-life. Are you for humanity? They're the right, same, right. basically two words, but basically, you know, um, if you're not for, for the lives of immigrants and you're, and you're, you know, don't want people to have health care, you're not actually for humanity. You're just using this semantic idea that you're pro-life because it's a clean form of activism. And I think that makes them feel righteous and that's all they want. It's just so disgusting. 
I and we know that it's rooted it. in control. It's rooted right. in the same thing the anti-LGBTQ stuff is. Right. We want to have power and consolidate it. And that's what we're going to do. And it's so crazy, you know, then these people have, you know, kids who are LGBTQ. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy because... I had straight parents. You know, it's not like I grew up any differently than anyone else, you know? Yes. Like, you had this kid, and the kid happens to be LGBTQ. Like, that's what you had, you know? Just like you have, you know, curly hair or straight hair or dyslexia or not dyslexia or, you know, whatever. It's just who you are. You've written several books. The the, the newest one is If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. And it comes out the day you are having surgery. So you write this book. You start writing it in February of 2020. That's right. And when are you diagnosed with your... I was diagnosed about August of 2021. So it actually happened really quickly. You know, the book was finished and we were had this release date. And then I got the the test and the test results and then surgery was a possibility. And it sort of started, you know, pointing to the same direction. So I ended up actually surgery day was three days after the book came out. So that that big first week and all this stuff is planned. And I saw like two weeks before, three weeks before, hey, this is probably not going to work out the way we planned it. Yeah. Your Twitter was like, listen, I got this brain tumor, uh, but, and I end, I have a book coming out, but whatever. And it actually all worked out. I mean, the book is doing amazingly well. It's yeah, so it, good. And, you know, I really wanted to talk to you. We saw Will Smith smack my friend, Chris Rock across the face. Mm-hmm. And then give a speech about how he's a vessel for love. And let me tell you something. If Will Smith is a is love, then don't be a jerk, which you were. I mean, that what the hell was that? My my whole take was uh, whatever you feel, you know, Chris, Chris said something that was hurtful, let's say. And let's say he did that intentionally. But the idea that you can justify hitting someone, where is that ever the right, you know, people will say, I don't justify violence, but, and then they're going right. to. And so it's not controversial for me, especially as a person of faith to say, maybe there's a better way to handle that than smacking somebody. Um, maybe we don't want to just go around smacking people who offend us because we're never going right. to stop slapping one another. Right. Know? I mean, it's, you know, as being a comedian, it's a joke. It wasn't a great joke. You don't get up and then they give him a standing ovation. Like you just smacked a comic, you know, not all of our jokes work, but that doesn't mean we should be assaulted. And this is, this has been happening in comedy clubs. You know, you shouldn't fear for your life because you're trying, you know, you're just trying to make someone laugh and it offends someone. It's like, get over it. Right. Well, in the heart of the MAGA movement that most people hate is how aggressive it's conditioned people to be in public. And it's like, when are we going to when are right. we going to draw the line and realize there has to be a better way than, you know, even if you people will say, well, those words were an act of violence. Even if you believe that, then you're saying, let's just match violence for violence. And it goes right. back to people who say they're pro-life and love the death penalty. It's like right. you have to try to have some consistency in your life. 
So here's the deal. A comedian's goal is to make you laugh. And we we get it wrong sometimes. And we should not. We should not be assaulted. And I feel like we I don't want to live in a world without laughter. And if you don't like a joke, move on with your life. It's a joke. You know, I can't. It's just horrible. So, okay, there's that. I, I, your book is great. I want everyone to wait. Let me read the list of all of your other books. Sure. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, a, a bigger table. Um, hope and other superpowers. Low rise stuff that needs to be said. And if God is love, don't be a jerk. They're they're anywhere, right? They're everywhere you can get. Books. Yeah, you can get them anywhere you buy books. This is the thing I was trying to tell you is that you know this guy's tr- telling a joke. It wasn't a great joke. The words that come out of these politicians' mouths kill people. They literally kill people. This guy was just trying to get a laugh. The stuff that came out of Donald Trump's mouth mm-hmm. killed people. Yeah. It's so, oh, okay. You're so cute. I'm telling you, you have Jew in you. If you uh, the minute you find out you have Jew in you, you have to, I better be the first one to find out. Okay. Th- that will be part two of our, of our okay. next episode. I ask my guests two questions always. Okay. Okay. Number one, what do you do for your mental health? Because, you know, I suffer from anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, all of them. Um, And I I am a very, we're very pro mental health. So what do you do to keep your mental health intact? And you've had a lot of challenges. Well, you know, this is like six inches from where we're talking, and I've got a collection of chocolate bars in this oh, drawer yeah. that's really shameful. But chocolate and wine tend to be yeah, um, baby. One, one of the ways. And uh, and me, I, I have to withdraw because I'm a serial introvert, right? So doing this work is very draining. So I have to pull away and get silence and solitude and nature in some form. And so I do that. I get really um, selfish with that, that and chocolate and wine. Wait, does je- is it red wine? It is. Okay, it has to be with the chocolate. Now, is does Jennifer yes. get mad that when you want to go retreat by yourself and be with your thoughts? No, when you have a, a great partner who understands how you're wired, uh, it's it's we you know we've been married almost 25 years, and so we both understand what the other needs, and she's she's great about she understands like what this takes out of me to go, I'll be traveling this weekend. Like you travel is rigorous and you're giving of yourself the whole time you're there. So um, it's a pacing thing. And uh, we, we, she's wonderful about it. And what about your kids? Do they resent that or. Uh, Maybe they'll fall in therapy in a couple of years, but right now it's great (laughs) because we, you know, I'm fortunate because I get, I do that. But then during the week we're here, we both work from home. And during COVID, I mean, we were seeing the kids all day, every, you know, so we right. got to go lunch, lunch with our kids. I taught my son how to drive. And so oh. you balance it, you know, you know, uh, you work it that's out. the worst when they drive. Uh, okay. Here's yes. my other, here's the question we ask everyone. We like, I have another personality here. All right. <laughs> um, what pisses you off more than anything? What makes you so mad, crazy mad? Uh, hypocrisy of people who leverage religion to justify hating other people and passing the buck to God. Boy, you really did that quickly. Um, That's scary. It's, but it's, I I hate that too. Like I just, we've got, what are we going to do, John? 
how is this going to get better? Like, what's going to happen? People seem to be getting worse and doubling down on this stuff. Some of them are, but some, I think we just know more than we used to, Judy. You're right. Growing up, we didn't have social media, so we didn't know how horrible our neighbors were. And now right. we have next door and all these other things. So I think it's about the story we tell ourselves. I think you and I, we encounter people all the time who are really wonderful, compassionate, loving people. Right. And we, we just have to realize some of that is a false story about how bad it's gotten. It's always been pretty terrible. So we just have to be more proactive about um, right. being decent. First of all, I hope and pray that they get the rest of that shit out of your pituitary gland. Thank um, you. And you are such a good guy. And your, uh, your Twitter is the best. Thank uh, you. <laughs> and I love how brutally honest you are. And we need you. We need you. Thank you. So much. It's crazy. Uh, you know, this is what faith is about. This is faith. This is real faith and humanity. And um, yep, when you look right, when you know, as a Jew, I, I, I really right. want to ask you this question. As a Jew, <laughs> do you think like I'm a sinner and that I'm like, like, what do you are, are, like? I mean, if you're a, if you're a sinner, it has nothing to do with being Jewish. I mean, okay, it's so just what do you think of us? <laughs> like, what do Christians really think of us? I, I think Jews are wonderful. I think they're beautiful people. I, you know, I don't have any, um, any baggage religiously. I just, uh, I, I just love it because I think um, we, even if you believe in your religious tradition, we come from the same tradition right. if you're a Christian. So that should actually be a, a, a reason to feel closer, right. to, a to feel closer to a Jewish person. So um, I, I never, ever thought, okay, I need to, pray for them or anything like that right. so um thank you john but yeah but but we don't we're real quick shout out to john fugelsang because he did i yeah. thought about the day that we met and it, i'm so glad that our paths have crossed and when i get to you're in new york city yes okay i'll be coming in a couple of weeks for a trip and i'm gonna let you know because i'd love to share a table with you and just talk in person oh and we can have red wine okay and i'll do my genie i'll do my genealogy before then okay you better you better john I'm telling you all right and then you better invite me to your bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, and you're going to have to get another snip, you know, down there. Okay? Just what I need. Just what yeah. I need. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Kill Me Now with the one and only incredible, wonderful John Pavlovitz. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Brittany Jo Sowards, who does all the marketing and is my personal assistant, and God bless her. There's not enough money in the world. Now, if you haven't subscribed and left a review, I hate your guts and I hate you really a lot. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Seriously, there's eight billion podcasts. I've been doing this since 2015. Do Just please. I'm not even whining. All right, that was whining. Also, I just want to say... You have to get my book. If you haven't gotten my book, yes, I can say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble because now it's like slap, attack. It's it's ridiculous what's going on. We just want to make you laugh. And if you want to understand how we got to this place, you should read my book. Yes, I can say that. And there's an audio book too. And if you're going away for uh, uh, the uh, Memorial Day, you could listen to the book in, in the car. 
Also, I am, let's see, let's look at my schedule, shall we? I am going to be performing on June 2nd, June 2nd at the Wall Street Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut with my friend Jessica Kirsten, who was a guest on the show and is hilarious. Uh, I will also uh, be hosting the Pride Festival, the first annual Pride Festival in Marstown, New Jersey. What else am I doing? I'm going to be at uh, in East Greenwich, Rhode Island on June 18. And I'm going to be in Provincetown all summer. So, you know, go to my website, judygold.com. I'll have all my dates there. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Tiki Taki. Uh, at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D. And please protest. Please vote. Please use your voice. Do anything. Get your kids to vote. Do whatever you have to do. We can't live in a world without safe abortions. It's ridiculous. This is a war on women. And I'm fucking sick of it. I don't know who's listening now, but I thank you for that. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee right now and... um, And listen to the uh, loud noises outside my window in New York City. Please be well. Please be safe. Please protest. Use your voice. Vote. Tell your kids. Do whatever you have to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And as we always say, so long.